live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. You get like a hiccup or a burp and you try to swallow it. That's what we were doing there. This is the Press Box. <laughs> some guy some guy heard that yesterday. It took him two two minutes to tweet. He thought it was a soda can. I said, come on, it's eight in the morning. With Grady and Bischoff. Jared, you say that like the quality of these shows have been good since we've been doing it for home anyway. On, Jared. Come on. on ESPN Las Vegas. Get the brooms out. Sweeping Reno. Oh, what are you talking about? Alfred going down again. ESPN Hello. 1100. Hello, how are you? Good. Yeah. Hello. You know what I enjoy about UNLV and Nevada? Well, really, about any time <laughs> We're not going to even do it. We just... We'll get to it. We'll get to the first fight. Calm down. I just wanted to say, every time I watch Nevada play, I forget Craig Neal's an assistant coach yes. there. Yes, yeah. He until fought. they show the bench, and I'm like, oh, I know that guy. He just follows Alfred around. <laughs> followed him in New Mexico, then became the coach, and followed him to Reno. Got that white, floppy oh, hair. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, what a sweep. Um I'll tell you what, you're not here today, so we're getting you um, from uh, out and out and about. Uh, but the first bite today, I will tell Jared, look over here. What do you got? Got the new backpack. New backpack? Yeah, it's a new backpack. Oh. Yeah. Is it a nice new backpack? I it can't is. see it. It's, it's, I've got uh, a large computer monitor <laughs> in my way. <laughs> nice new backpack. I needed one. I need a new backpack. Went on Amazon. Should we bring well, back grainy show and tell? <laughs> I'm a... Uh, I'm back on Amazon clicking on things. I'm getting in Wait, trouble. Hold on. Before we get to UNLV, can I ask how how long did you spend like researching the type of backpack you wanted, or did you just buy like the first one you saw? Oh on Amazon? no, I researched. I researched okay. uh, a good day and a half. I looked at all the <laughs> options, and then I and then I had to say the prices out loud. And the first three got rejected. So the fourth, he has to go on Shark Tank to buy yes, things. Exactly. <laughs> Do you have, have a to... PowerPoint presentation? Yes, and then Mr. Wonderful <laughs> says, well, I'm not really into those, and everyone and finally Cuban bought it for me. So, uh, yeah, it's a good <laughs> price point. Okay, there's I, – I have a I have like six follow-ups to this, so we can either do that yeah. or we can move on to the we'll, – We'll get to backpack talk later, Jared. we got an important <laughs> sweep to talk about. The first bite. Oh, uh, Tyler, what did you have for breakfast? I have not eaten breakfast. The first bright bite today is brought to you by nothing. Did UNLV reclaim the top oh. spot in the state? Now, are we just talking basketball? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay, oh, I was yes. going to say, hold on. because hold on a second. Let, hold me, on. Get, let me get on uh, what color is the cannon. Yeah, no, just basketball. Although, I, I'll, I'll tell you, we both predicted them to beat Nevada in football next year, so they oh, might be reclaiming right. the state right. and everything. We both predict next year that cannon's going to be red. They're going to have that... They have that ceremony in the quad. It's blue. Where they where they uh where they where they paint it red when they when they actually win that game. Is the fact that UNLV hadn't swept Nevada in a regular season since 2012-13 one of the like saddest stats about UNLV basketball? Uh yeah, well, I'm trying to think back of all the teams cuz Musselman was really really good. He had all those he, he had those really good teams. So maybe I'm not completely surprised, but that's a long time to get a game like that's a really long time not to get at least one game so i guess it is a sad fact but now they've won two straight so they're not sad anymore yeah and this year both wins were by double digits now one important uh note on that nevada didn't have its best player grant sherfield in the first game and they didn't have their second best player desmond cambridge in the second game. right so it wasn't exactly full strength nevada that they beat but they still beat them by double digits both times and if you look 
Mountain West standings wise, UNLV much better than Nevada and just general ability to win games and be a competent team this year. UNLV is much better than Nevada. And it's the first time we can say that in yes. a long, long time. time. A I long mean, it's, time. It's, it's been since pretty much Dave Rice was here that we can say that UNLV is better than Nevada. And it's not really a, there's no argument. Nobody can actually argue against that. So it's been a one-sided rivalry for the entirety of its history until, you know, the last seven years or so. And Nevada's dominated it, but UNLV is is back at least for now, at least for one Look season. Look at Kruger as comes the best right team in. in the state. Yeah. Comes right in and gets the sweep. Uh, doing really well. What's that? Four straight now. Uh, three straight wins. Okay, three straight wins. Okay. Uh, for UNLV, okay. it is uh, the the longest Mountain West winning streak for Kevin Kruger at three wow. so far. Good for him. Uh, and it matches the longest winning streak that I think Marvin Menzies ever had in Mountain West play at three as well. Uh, I think Otzelberger had a five one. Yeah, it's a tough one there. A, there's a lot of low bars to clear in the based on the past two coaches. And Kevin Kruger's clearing a lot of them. Here's the amazing part about their game last night. UNLV sucked on offense in the first half <laughs> of that. They're terrible. Game. They're terrible on like, offense. That was one of the worst halves of basketball I've seen them play just on offense. Defense, they were relatively fine. But wh- what was that? And there there's two things that really jumped out. Number one. UNLV had nine turnovers in the first yeah. half of that game. This is actually a really good UNLV team as far as turning the ball over. Yeah, they, they take care it. of the they, ball for the most part. Yeah. They're top 100 in turnover rate this year. It's the best they've been in turnover rate since, uh, I think, Dave Rice's last year. Like they, they don't turn the ball over. And a lot of that's a credit to Bryce Hamilton because Hamilton has one of the highest usage rates in the country. Bryce Hamilton doesn't turn the ball over. Like as much as like I've talked about efficiency and mid-range jumpers and how he's taking less of those this year, more threes, and he's shooting better from three. Really, one of the keys to efficiency is getting shots up because you're going to take a mid-range jumper over a turnover every single time. Sure. And Bryce Hamilton doesn't turn it over. Yeah, Bryce Hamilton doesn't. He doesn't turn it over, and that happened in the first half. Like it was like there were two jump balls where Bryce Hamilton drove down the lane and they just stuck their hand in there and grabbed it, and that. Just bizarre plays. The second big area in the first half, UNLV was two of nine on layups. Like, two of nine's horrific. Like, that's that's laughably bad. Once they cleaned those two things up, they were good. The, the yeah. offense was fine. Once they stopped throwing the ball out of bounds or letting Nevada just take it from them, and once they stopped missing, like, 70% of their layups, they were good. They were, they were awesome on offense in the second half, and that was you know, why this went from an ugly struggle to UNLV winning really comfortably. I mean, they led by basically 10 for the final five minutes of the entire game. Did you enjoy the greatest turnover in the history of UNLV basketball? Oh, my God. When there are and... three guys around the ball, like, <laughs> diving for the ball, and it goes out of bounds, and you didn't see a blue shirt in the entire screen. Like, I looked at my TV screen, I'm like, there's not one blue shirt on that screen. Royce Ham grabs a rebound, but is kind of off balance and is falling down and tries to pass it to a teammate. But somehow, I don't know what it hit. I don't know what he hit, but passed it off his own leg yeah, and ended up rolling out of bounds. Diving out of bounds for the ball. You uh, know what the best part of that was, Ed? The official stats did not count that as a turnover. What in the world did they count it as? Nothing? They counted it as an offensive rebound for Nevada. Huh? Okay. So they they <laughs> determined home that... Cooking. That, that for UNLV, apparently. Yeah. Uh, they determined that, I guess, Royce Ham didn't have full control of the ball. And so, because it was off a missed shot, that would deem it as a what? rebound, even though 
the team rebound. He, he pretty clearly had control of the ball yes. and then fell down. And even if he didn't, like Bryce Hamilton was standing there and he should have taken full control of the ball. But yes, the worst turnover of the season was not actually a turnover. Not actually a turnover. The best part of the game, though, and absolutely was the turnover. I think this is the best play of Bryce Hamilton's career. His step back three after making Daniel Foster fall down is it's the most disrespectful play of his career. That's for sure. Because Daniel Foster falls down. Bryce Hamilton's almost in the paint. And he steps back yeah. to the three-point line and drills the three. Uh, incredible play. Like, that is that is one of the best plays of his career. One of the, like, one of the weird things about Hamilton, he doesn't have a lot of, like, big moments. Like, he's scored a ton of points. But, you know, he hasn't played a lot of important games here or with him. So, like, he doesn't have a ton of, like, huge moments. Where, like, oh, yeah, Bryce hit the, Bryce Hamilton. Yeah, hit the game winner awesome with, no, game with winner. two right. seconds left. Exactly. But that was definitely one of the best moments of his career because it's the rivalry game and because the move was so... It was disrespectful. He put the guy down and then backed up like 10 feet to shoot a three. How much and, did you like the quote afterwards? Oh. I was kind of thinking Coach Kruger doesn't like mid-range shots, so let me step back a little. <laughs> let me step back 10 feet and hit a three. Here's the other part. Bryce Hamilton throughout his career has been probably one of the most reserved and like respectful uh, players talking to the media. Like yeah, he, yes. he never gets... Right upset or happy really about anything when he talks to the media he's the same the same level every single time oh, he's got the full package right he's got the full package but that <laughs> leads to that leads to him giving a ton of boring quotes he, he often doesn't say much that's probably the best quote of his career yeah. to say to actually give like hey here's sort of a fun joke insight into what you know i think when i take a step back three like that it, it it took him making the best play of his career, but he finally got a good quote out of him. I loved it. I loved that so much. It was a great. It was. I mean, poor David, poor Daniel Foster too. <laughs> I mean, just it's it, it's a huge, huge bad luck. People are tweeting about it. Adam Hill, I think, tweeted, "Oh no, Bryce!" Or how can you do that, Bryce? I mean, obviously facetious uh, and praising him. Uh, he got the uh, ha, uh, eyes above emoji from me, by the way. The rolling eyes. Um, oh, Adam Hill did or Bryce Hamilton did? No, I not Bryce. Bryce can say okay. what he wants. Adam Hill did. Um, okay. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I, I you're sitting there at halftime. I really thought they were gonna. I, I and I, I saw your tweet at halftime. And when they went up forty-one forty, I just said, man, they might lose this, and there's no reason they should lose this one. I just I, I at forty-one forty when Nevada took the lead, I'm like, boy, are they really going to lose this game? And then they were terrific. They're terrific down the stretch. They got the lead. They extended it. Um, Hit some hit some threes from people not named Bryce Hamilton to kind of extend the league, and uh, yeah, three straight. They're solidly well. I don't know about solidly, but they're in the fifth seed right now. If they had ended today, they'd be in the fifth seed. They'd be in the four or five game against San Diego State. I'd love to see that game because I think they're a lot better than the two times they played San Diego State. Um, we'll get to what they did last night at Boise, but I would love to see that game. I don't know. It, um, talking to uh, Mike Romal the other day, I don't know if that's the best matchup for for UNLV. But the way they're playing right now, I don't think they care. I think they're really confident. Um, court, you know, it's different. Everyone says, "Well, they're at home." Well, that hasn't helped them in like twenty years. So <laughs> I'm not really uh, yeah. sure. I'm not really sure that that means anything. The, the court's completely different, and plus, it hasn't helped them like in forever. I've been a UNLV fan since ni- like 1990. Yeah, I don't think it's ever. No, helped. I, don't know, I don't know if it's ever helped them. <laughs> but I would just like to see that matchup. But long way to go. And heck, I don't think they can get to three. 
because a lot of teams ahead of them would have to lose. But, you know, four or five looks kind of doable right now. They are nine and six. Colorado State's the three seed at the moment at 11 and four. So they're two games back with only, what is that, three games, four right. games left in conference play. That's pretty uh, going to be difficult to pull off there, but they do have the tiebreaker over Colorado State. So they just have to get to a tie with Colorado State and they would they could jump into the three. Now, that also means they have to jump San Diego State as well, who's ahead of them at nine and four. But who most get, likely it's team like San Jose State and Reno. Right. So right. Most likely UNLV's in the four five matchup as the five seed. Fresno State could catch them. They could catch them. Um, but most likely they won't. Uh, I think uh, Bart Torvik has it pretty UNLV's pretty pre- as locked into the four five matchup as a team I, could be as UNLV right now. I, I enjoy that Torvik has become a a large part of this show. Yes, you get get ready for more Bart Torvik. I'm I'm going to start using more Bart Torvik. I can tell you this, uh in conference play only, UNLV has the third best offensive efficiency and the third best defensive efficiency in the Mountain West. Okay. So, they are and according to Bart Torvik, their chances to win the Mountain West tournament right now, third best in the conference. Really? Yes. Boise's Boise one. Boise Wyoming. San Diego State is two. Oh, San Diego State's two. Yes, Bart Torvik okay. does not like Wyoming very much. Okay. Very I, I, anti-Wyoming. You know what we're getting already from the broadcasters? Nobody wants to play them. Oh, nobody no, does. Nobody wants to play them. We're getting that a lot. Well, they said that last night about both teams. They were like, both yeah. of these teams are teams you don't uh, want to play in yeah. March. I want to play Reno. I was like, I was like yeah, I'll play. I yeah, think I'll everybody play. in the Mountain West is going to sign up to play Nevada. Who's not going to want to play Nevada? <laughs> that, I don't want to play Nevada. Yes, the three I of got us. Ba- do I not got bad knees. The three of us <laughs> do, do not want to play Nevada. Nevada. That's it. Just the three of us. All right. Coming up next, we'll jump into the NBA because, man, Zion Williamson hasn't played at all and he's just getting burned now. Like, this just shows a complete lack of investment in your team, in the organization, in the city. I get that he's hurt and away from the team, but you just traded for one of the 50 best players in the league. A guy that's supposed to be paired with you. Reach out and say hello. I, I, I'm, I'm, this is a pattern of behavior with Zion that we are seeing again and again. And look, I was his teammate. I can describe him as a detached teammate. That, that, is, that is an accurate statement. This is just this is basic, basic level of humanity being a teammate. Send a text to a guy when he gets traded to your team. That is just normal behavior. That's the bar minimum that you have to do. And the Pelicans... Yesterday, sent out an email for season tickets for next year. Guess who wasn't in the email? Whose name was not in the email? Zion's. Like, what the heck is going on in New Orleans? We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. I like when former players have hot takes that sound like something I would come up with. (laughs) Um, That was J.J. Redick yesterday talking about Zion Williamson, who apparently did not reach out to C.J. McCollum after the Pelicans traded for him. He has since, reportedly, reached out to C.J. McCollum, but that came after the report was out there that he hadn't talked to C.J. McCollum. Um, Do you buy into this idea, J.J. Redick, that Zion Williamson is not fully invested in his teammates, fully invested in the Pelicans? Well, I'll go back to his first summer league here, and I don't know if you went and watched him, but I went and watched him three or four times and he was completely out of shape he showed up out of shape he showed up heavy and even then people are questions like wow now he's never going to be say shall we say svelte 
This guy's never going to be 185 with a 32-inch waist. Round is a shape. Yeah, he was a big man in college, but he showed up out of shape then. So these injuries are not a surprise because I don't know if he's ever really been in total shape. So, yeah, I mean, I think when J.J. Redick has committed, uh, you're fully invested in your body, you're fully invested in work, and you're fully invested in your teammates, and J.J. Redick was around him or, you know, obviously played on the team with him whenever Zion played, I'll take J.J. Redick at his word. I don't think, you know, J.J. Redick, I'm trying to think in the past, maybe you can remember, I don't know if J.J. Redick's been a guy who's come out like this against other teammates and, and, and really gone strong. So when he says this, I, I kind of perk up and, and, you know, believe what he says. Yeah, I can't remember another time J.J. Redick going ever done this, this hard at an individual. He, did, he had a podcast even in his last years of playing, but I don't think there was ever anything where he truly ripped a teammate or even an opponent like this. And that, like, that's the interesting part of it. This is not me yelling into a microphone that Zion Williamson needs to be more responsible and invested in his body and his team. This is, J.J. Redick actually played with Zion mm-hmm. Williamson. He was in New Orleans when Zion Williamson got drafted and was there for his rookie season. And the other thing that J.J. Redick said is he said that it's something he actually addressed with Zion and the entire roster. Like, he said this apparently in the locker room at some point during Zion's rookie year. So this is not like a new hey, this is how J.J. Redick suddenly feels about it. This is apparently how J.J. Redick has felt for a little while. And it's, listen, we've kind of joked about it throughout the year, but like this started, this whole this year's injury started with a foot injury in the offseason, and the Pelicans saying they expected Zion Williamson to be ready to go for the first regular season game of the year. That That is how this injury started, with a, hey, yeah, he's going to miss some of the preseason, but he'll be good to go for game one of the regular season. It's February 23rd. He hasn't played. And they're, you know, the last the last injury update we got was, well, he might have to have surgery again on that foot. Like, I don't know how much blame is I don't know how much blame actually should go to Zion Williamson for injuries, but you bring up the weight. That's been is JJ Reddick obviously brings that up when he says you're not fully invested in your body. That's a is that the nicest way to call someone fat? That's probably no, that's probably the nicest way. Well, okay. they're both former Duke guys, so he didn't want to come out and completely say you're fat. <laughs> so he said, "How can I? How can I say is, this without right, using the word?" Is Zion a Duke guy? I haven't seen him eh. purposely injure another player. <laughs> I haven't seen him, you know, like accidentally trip somebody and then start crying and like you know, Zion's more. I, I don't I don't know if I see him as a as an actual Duke Duke guy. Is Grayson Allen fully invested in his body? I think he's invested in his body. I think he's also invested in doing weird things on the basketball court. So <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think, I think Grayson Allen is I'm not smart enough to be a lawyer. This has to work out. <laughs> My name is Grayson. <laughs> it, but Grayson just, Jones and Mitchell? I mean, all I know is he has a last name as a first name, and if you're not smart, that's not a good sign. Is is Alan Grayson's a more normal name than Grayson Allen? Is oh, it? absolutely, sure, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Alan Grayson sure. will represent you in your divorce case. <laughs> Grayson Allen, you know that his dad had to make a call to get him into school. Uh, Jared, uh, important question for you: what's what's a better or more fun way to call somebody fat? To say they have a tricky body or to say they're not fully invested in their body? Oh, no. Tricky body. Tricky body is the 
well, okay, because when Jameson said that, though, he was actually saying, like, no, dude, dude's low-key in shape. He goes out of his way to make you think he's not in shape, where <laughs> Zion is just, like, full-on. Oh, I'm out of shape. Like, yeah. We, we've had, we had several Hall of Famers on promoting their pork rinds. Zion Williams it was eating the pork rinds. <laughs> I think he is fully invested in his body, just not the way a basketball well, Yeah, yeah no. exactly. He's fully invested in looking differently. Do you, did, did you guys remember when they had to, was it the, yeah, the 76ers had to tell Joel Embiid, dude, you can't drink a pitcher of Shirley Temples? <laughs> <laughs> and that's literally just like, is that Sprite and grenadine? Yeah, with, like uh, there's no caffeine yeah. in it. It's just well, with a lot of cherries. I'm in pretty it. sure Sprite has no sugar in it. And they were like, dude, you don't understand. You are pouring like crappy gas in a in a Porsche right now. Stop it. As, how has this not happened to Giannis? By the way. Because he's committed to his body, and well, other, other than the fact he, he goes to Chick Fil A, but like every, but like every couple of months, there's a story about Giannis eating some Americanized food yeah. for the first time, and it'll be like, oh, Oreos, oh, you dunk them in milk. I ate three packages that night when I learned you could dunk them in milk. Oh, I went to Chick Fil A and ordered fifty chicken. Minis. It's all about metabolism. I was about to say, Giannis was is the guy that's like. That seems like he parks his car far away from wherever he's going. Not to walk, because he's like, then we can run there. <laughs> like, he's got some real, like, dog energy of, it, like, where are we going? What are we doing? Let's do it. Is, yeah. Is Giannis two double doubles fries and a Diet Coke? <laughs> Probably. I don't think Diet Coke. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think he's two double doubles and two animal fries. Yeah. And, like, and then he says all that and he goes, but I want a diet coke. Yeah, that's right. Very important. Gotta gotta watch the figure there. I do I do think there have been stories about Giannis. Like normally he eats very healthy, like during game uh, during a season or whatever, but like he'll always just randomly just you'll see like a tweet or a video of him randomly discovering like corn dogs and him being like, This is the greatest food I've ever tasted. <laughs> I ate 14 of them in the next 20 <laughs> minutes of my life. And you're like, what the hell Yada, happened here? Yada says, like, there's, like, a certain aspirational level to him of just being, like, okay, he was poor, but he's also, like, like from a different country, so he's coming here, and it's like, yeah, man, we ate that all the time growing up because it was a dollar fifty <laughs> yes, per yes. pound. <laughs> and you're just like, it's so much better than dirt. <laughs> All right, coming up next, we jump into the Golden Knights with Ben, Goats, Gets, Guts. We'll find out next. Uh, no, you know, like I said, whether it's confidence once the puck goes in or, or actually giving it time to heal, uh, you know, now I, I feel great. I feel 100%. A couple things that might last for a while, but it, I don't think about it at all on the ice anymore. And, and like I said, whether that's the science behind it or just me being a head case, who knows. <laughs> Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Grainy and Bischoff. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Ben Goats. All right, Ben, we got to start with Max Pacioretty there because he scores from the wall against the Sharks and then post-game says that he, he has scored that goal before, and he remembers exactly who he did it against in college and the fact that it came on a the second game uh, against that team. 
Uh, and you went and found it. How hard was it to actually find this goal from Max Pacioretty? So not like crazy difficult, like a half hour or so. I'm like, you know, oh, that's Googling. a long time on the internet, Ben. That's a long time Googling. If I Google something and can't find it in five minutes, I'm my laptop's through the wall. So for like context, we're like waiting for interviews. I'm in like the Golden Knights uh, media room at City National Arena, so you know I've got time on my hands. Is what I'm trying to say here. So I'm like looking through old Michigan box scores, trying to find which game <laughs> it could be. And luckily, Max Pacioretty was a one and done in college, so it wasn't that hard to, like, narrow down. I didn't have to go through four years of Michigan-Miami of Ohio matchups. So <laughs> once I found it, then it was just a matter of, like, does any video clip of this game that I have, like, pinned it down to exist? And so I ended up watching, like, a three-minute Max Pacioretty Michigan highlight reel and about, like, two and a half minutes into it, I was like, oh, there it is. That's the goal. You know, he, they had the TV broadcast, so I could see he was against Miami of Ohio. He's on the right wall, just as he said, because he remembered exactly what happened. He was like, yep, second night of a back-to-back, but it was on the other wall. Then he scored against the Sharks. He had all those details, like, right top of mind. Like, he did not hesitate. Like, I expected the typical, like, athlete answer of, like, hey, have you, you know, done whatever play before? And they'd be like, oh, maybe in junior. Like, I don't know. Like, probably, but I don't remember exactly. Uh, Not Max Pacioretty. That dude apparently has an encyclopedic (laughs) memory of his goals, which when you can score from there, I would probably remember that too. Should it even count as bad as the Sharks are? Hey, James Reimer is a professional goalie. He had a lot more experience than the guy in the other net. The the Sharks had a lot more harder time scoring on that guy, which obviously, as you are saying, provides a window into the place the San Jose franchise is at the moment. It's probably not a – is it probably the worst quote to hear afterwards as a goalie of, hey, your opponent just said the only other time he scored like that was in college against Miami of Ohio. Hey, now, in fairness to the Fighting Red Hawks over there, they were the number one team in the country at the time that Michigan uh, played them, which was not at all what I was expecting when I looked that up. So maybe that's why Patch already finds it so memorable. But, uh, yeah, in February 2008, let it be known that Miami of Ohio and Michigan was a one-versus-two matchup. So uh, I think a lot of the college hockey world was tuned into that one. I, I apologize to every Miami of Ohio hockey fan for assuming they were bad at the sport when, in fact, they're apparently very good. Apologize to, uh, you know, the famous alumni on the Golden Knights that include, I believe, Riley Smith and Alec Martinez. That is a <laughs> hockey factory over there. All right, Ben, you've seen Jack Eichel a few games now. You've seen what they've done with Stevenson on the lines. Uh, give us your thoughts on Jack Eichel and how they're kind of mixing things up to make him, uh, you know, feel feel welcome. Yeah, it's definitely getting better, right? There's still a lot that needs to tighten up. But you see things like the four-on-four goal where he scores, you know, his first, where obviously the goal itself is, you know, a pretty good finish. But it starts with him just kind of, you know, doing circles around everyone in the offensive zone, holding on to that puck for like 10 seconds or something. And that's just obviously a rare play for someone to have the, you know, the speed, the skating ability, the confidence with the puck to be able to pull something like that off. And, of course, it ends up with him finding a wide-open Chandler Stevenson in front of the net, and Stevenson just hesitates for a minute, pulls it around, and then Eichel is the one that darts into the picture and gets the goal. But you're starting to see that kind of skill pop a little bit more often. You didn't quite see it 
the first couple games. I think you saw it a lot more in San Jose. He's starting to figure things out with his line mates a little more. I think you could see, especially in those first couple games, just the timing and kind of the communication was, you know, just different. I don't want to necessarily say off, but just like Jack obviously hasn't played with his line mates at full speed, so he doesn't quite know always where they're going to be in the offensive or defensive zone or neutral zone, and they don't know quite where he's going to be. Where when you look at a line like the Misfit line, obviously. William Carlson could stay blindfolded and know like where Riley Smith is going to be for a breakout. So obviously that's just one of those things that is going to take time. And then the other piece that I think you're seeing starting to come through is his physicality a little bit. There were times in the first couple games where I thought he was either a really trying to seek out contact just to kind of prove to himself that he could do it or B kind of playing really perimeter and not looking for contact, but he was probably trying to protect himself after not playing for more than 11 months with a serious neck injury, which obviously who can blame him? And I know coach Pete DeBoer talked about this a couple days ago. It seems against San Jose, he was, you know, kind of playing through contact, playing with contact kind of more in the flow of the game. He wasn't necessarily being overly aggressive with it. He wasn't necessarily shying away from it at times. It just kind of looked like he was, back more to his normal game. And obviously it resulted in probably one of his best games as a Golden Knight. So I think he's definitely coming along. There's still obviously a lot to tighten up and a lot he has to learn about his line mates. I mean, Pat Dreddy broke down in detail the other day just how much work goes into he and Eichel kind of figuring out just where you know each other likes to receive the puck because Eichel is more of a one-time shooter likes to drag the puck kind of from behind and back across this body towards the net where uh, Pacioretty is much more of a grip it and rip it kind of wrist shot shooter where he doesn't one time the puck is off. And so there's those little subtleties that are going to take time for them to kind of, like I said, iron out at full speed. But I think you see him starting to get in the flow of a game more, in the flow of kind of the night systems more. And it's going to take time for him to feel 100% confident in those, but he's definitely improving and getting better. And as we saw against San Jose, even a not probably fully locked in Jack Eichel can still be a very dangerous player. The always impossible uh, to answer injury questions here. Do you believe Alec Martinez is close this time to coming back? I honestly am probably done with the Alec Martinez prediction (laughs) game. Uh, He went away last week for a couple of days, uh, was going to see specialists, I believe DeVore called it, was back on the ice on Monday and kind of an optional practice. Uh, I mean, I literally was chatting with someone on the way out, you know, the rink. Like, he looks like he's ready to go. He's looked like he's ready to go for more than a month now. And obviously there's something that's clearly holding him back. And I thought it was pretty telling that when general manager Kelly McCrimmon was kind of talking about Jack Eichel's debut and Mark Stone going on long-term injured reserve, he was asked kind of, what is it? you know, with Alec Martinez that is keeping him out of the lineup. And McCrimmon kind of started to answer and then kind of pulled back and said, you know what, I think that's, you know, Alec's decision to kind of answer and talk about, which obviously not that this is probably not too surprising given kind of how weird this nature is, but that led me to believe this is something more than just kind of the common run-of-the-mill hockey injuries. There's something else going on that maybe we won't, just won't know about until – He's back and kind of ready to talk about it. And like I said, because of that, I think I'm out of the prediction game here and just will wait until we actually get kind of an official thumbs up that, yep, he's ready to go back in the lineup. 
All right. Uh, also out on the horizon, and we never really know how deep into the uh, uh, world that is, is Robin Leonard. Uh, I believe he did not skate yesterday, so he's not back yet. Um, you and I talked yesterday, uh, and I know we don't know when he's coming back, but just looking ahead, how viable an option do you think it is that they'll make a move for a goalie? I mean, it 100% depends on Leonard's timeline, right, which is a cop-out answer, but Speed Board did say Leonard was skating like on his own Monday. So does that mean Leonard can be back, you know, before the trade deadline in about a month? You know, probably. And then you're probably evaluating whether he can play through whatever injury he has because uh, acquiring a goaltender would get pretty complicated unless you're willing to shut Leonard down the rest of the season and put him on long-term injured reserve as well because you're going to be able to get Eichel you're probably going to be able to get Martinez back on the roster without making any major moves thanks to that a stone contract being on LTIR. But if you need to fit the goalie in as well, you're either probably sending back out Laurent Brassois or you're putting Leonard on LTIR as well for the season. I obviously don't think that's probably what the Knights would want to do, especially if they're not intent on acquiring a goalie that they think, you know, would be their starter in the playoffs. If they think they can shut Leonard down and get him back for the playoffs, that's obviously one way to go. But that then you're trusting a goalie that hasn't played in months to all of a sudden be fresh for the first round when games really start to count. So this is going to be a really tricky situation for them to navigate, uh, especially because, obviously, the goaltender is the most important position in hockey. and It's not necessarily close. This is not a position you necessarily want to mess around with and as much work as the Golden Knights have put in the past couple of years to acquire all these talented skaters like Stone, Pacioretty, Petrangelo, Eichel. You don't have the goaltending. You don't really have uh, anything else that matters. And obviously the Knights saw that firsthand in the bubble when uh, Thatcher Demko just decided that he was going to bring that series to a Game 7 all on his own. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how they navigate like I said, through this, obviously the Rent Brassois and Logan Thompson, I think, have been excellent these last three games. They've really given the Knights a chance to win all three of them. Now, do I expect those two to be viable long-term as a duo for the Knights if they really want to challenge Calgary in the Pacific Division? Probably not. So uh, I'm sure Kelly McCrimmon is weighing a lot of options right now as he looks ahead to the future. Well, he is Ben Goats. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Benjamin. No problem. Great to talk to you guys. Take care of yourself. Oh, there uh, he is. I, I have one. Ben kind of led me into something there, the, my uh, conspiracy theories at the Golden Knights. Uh, if they're convinced Robin Leonard's going to be back for the postseason, they put him on long-term IR and go trade for a defenseman at the trade deadline. Mm. Okay. That's something you'd come up with? That'd be a lot of fun if they just went all in even more with this uh, long-term, <laughs> the long-term IR Long-term IR. I just said, yeah, we're just putting everybody there. Just all of them go. We'll be fine Oops. with Logan Thompson for a couple months. What do you think's going on with Martinez? And I know he took the slash of the face, which is not fun and probably a lot to get over. And you know, But it's even with that, have you not thought it's been a really long time? Yeah, it's interesting context that Ben gave us there on on the idea that it's not just injury-related or not just, hey, he's coming back from his face being cut. Because it's the, the weird part is Ben, he's kind of like, this is like the third time he's been like back, right? right. Like we've, back skating a, in a normal right, jersey. There was, 
Right. We were, was it last month? Maybe two months ago when we like we thought Alec Martinez was like about to play in a game. Like he was back and he was in promos and all that stuff. And so I I don't know what to do with it. Like it's it's a weird scenario because again he's not constantly away from the team. He's no with the he's team and skating and, at certain times. Yeah, and but then suddenly not. So it's it's very it's weird. I I don't know exactly what to do with it because it's a bizarre scenario. But they I mean. Listen, as far as like trade deadline acquisitions go, that just getting Alec Martinez back would go a long right. way for this team because they're kind of in a playoff race at the moment, and he's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, what they need to do is trade for Eric Carlson and then immediately put him on long-term IR and then activate him in the playoffs. <laughs> Isn't that what Shang told us yesterday? Yes, uh, Eric Carlson. And uh, I think if they just put Leonard on and make like one other move, they can get Eric Carlson in without... They can have Eric Carlson actually on the ice for him. Be good. Be fun. Coming up next. Yesterday wasn't a fun day for the United Soccer, United States soccer team, even though they didn't play a game. This thing kind of just kept going and going and going and going. And I guess until I got to have some of those conversations postseason, when things started to calm down a little bit, and you start to have a better perspective on what happened, and think about things maybe outside of your own self, and set your ego aside a little bit, uh, and have some empathy. It really starts to sink in. The gratitude, the intense, intense gratitude for those people that reached out and supported me. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Thing in the front page at 8 o'clock. Uh, by the way, make sure you stay tuned. Later in the show, we're going to have more tickets to the Pennzoil 400 uh, as NASCAR comes to Las Vegas Motor Speedway. We are also going to have a shot for you to get qualified to win tickets to the Academy of Country Music Awards. So NASCAR and CMAs coming up later if you are trying to win some tickets. But I thought you were going to say later in the show we're going to go over the backpack. We are going to go over the backpack at some point. <laughs> can, we, can we do an impromptu? Like, Is there a All time right, later? Let's, let's do it right now. Backpack, what do we got in the backpack? We ready to do the backpack now? I, I still need oh. to see it. Okay. I like. I still have a giant monitor in my way. I can't even see the thing. Here it is. Ooh. Okay. So it's kind of. It's yeah. It's super yeah. thin. And super it, ooh, thin. okay. Does it have a hard, hard outer like shell? No. No. Okay. It looks like it has a hard outer shell, but it does not. No. It's uh, soft on the outside. Uh, not a lot of stuff. I hope I ha- I hope I don't. And I usually don't have to have a lot of notebooks because uh, a lot of notebooks are not going to fit. Uh, but, you know, has the uh, laptop sleeve, has the sleeve that are impo- is important, which are three pins and my Vax guard, um, <laughs> has a little place for a charger. And then in the middle, we go to the, um, we go to the, uh, uh, let me see if I can get it here. Yeah, he, he, yeah this is uh, this is fantastic. Uh, but no, he's got a second pocket. Ooh, okay, he's got a legal pad in there with another <laughs> pen. <laughs> One and of then, my one of my favorite uh one of my, get one on the oh, side. Oh no, he's got a side pocket. Does that have a pen? Does not have a pen. Oh no, but it does have a laptop charger in yes. it. Yes. So there you go. It's a thin one. one. And it's a it's a backpack. You know, I usually like the uh, carry uh satchels. Okay, so this is this is a question that I've had and I wanted to ask both of you. Um I didn't think when I got my degree in journalism how much I would be like you know what is really important to be a grown man with a backpack. <laughs> yes. But it seems like that is a like level of like journalism I just wasn't e- and, expecting. I just assumed 
I don't remember in the movies, all the movies about journalism, there being like a 42-year-old man with a backpack in a blazer with, with a, a backpack, backpack yeah. and both shoulder straps. Um, can you describe these to Tyler? Because I don't know what they are. Uh, yeah, if you can vamp while I look at them. Cause They're blue and orange. Um, I'm going to have to plastic. Google what the bleep are those. Are they like faux keys? Yeah, they're like faux keys. Keys? Like to unlock a house? Yeah, not not really. They're I'll show them to you. Yeah, all right. All right. Uh, Ed may need to tweet that out, and we'll retweet it from the show account, because I have no idea what those are. They're hanging off the bag, and there's blue and orange ones, and there's six of them. And uh, I'm not, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with those because there's no lock on the backpack. Did, the backpack did not come with an instruction manual. Oh, that You're was thrown away you immediately. Have, you have keys hanging off your backpack. Yeah, but they're plastic, and they're there's six of them, three orange and three blue. I'm not really sure what they're for because there's no lock on the backpack. So if you're out there and listening and you have a backpack with six supposed keys on it, plastic, three orange and three blue, tweet us and uh, let us know what they are for because I have no idea. I want to cut them off, but I think if I cut them off, like the backpack's going to fall apart. <laughs> so I can't cut them off at this point because I have no they're idea the what they are. They're the about. structural integrity of the oh. entire backpack yes, and you're yes. going to cut them. That's the way you put it.